We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined this evening by Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. And we'll be jumping straight in with a bevy of positive and negative press about Taiwan's locally made coronavirus vaccine. Now, the Food and Drug Administration on Monday of this week announced that it's completed the inspection of the first four batches of Medigen's coronavirus vaccine, and those doses will soon be sent for national rollout. Now, according to the head of the FDA's Research and Inspection Division, the inspection of the four batches of the vaccine, which totals 265,528 doses, was completed late last week. Now, the doses have now been shipped to a designated warehouse following the testing and are being sealed in preparation for use. Now, the same day that was happening, former Taipei City Mayor Hao Long Bin and former Health Minister Yang Jiuliang announced their plans to request that the Taipei High Administrative Court revoke the emergency use authorization granted to Medigen's coronavirus vaccine. According to Hao, the move comes amid concerns about the safety of the vaccine as it's yet to begin phase three clinical trials. And speaking to reporters, Hao accused the government of inappropriately using the immunobridging concept in order that Medigen didn't have to first to complete those trials which determine the efficiency of a vaccine candidate. While the former health minister accused the Ministry of Health of undermining the people's health generally by granting EUA status to the vaccine. However, neither Howe or Young specified what legal arguments they plan to use to ask for the injunction or what specific administrative flaws were involved in the EUA process. And while Howe and Young were doing that, a panel of experts was questioning the Medigen vaccine's efficiency against the coronavirus variants, despite agreeing to grant it emergency use authorization last month anyway. And they said that lab testing showed that the vaccine's antibodies showed better results for some of the early variants of the virus, just the Gamma and D614G variants, but poorer results against the Delta and Beta strains. Now, a Medigen representative went on record this week also saying that the coronavirus vaccine has an estimated protective efficiency rate of between 80 and 90 percent. Now, according to that company representative, the estimate is based on antibody levels produced by the vaccine, which are up to four times higher than levels produced by the AstraZeneca vaccine. And those statements came after the Centers for Disease Control added information about Medigen's coronavirus vaccine on its website. Now, according to the Central Epidemic Command Center, 980 1,863 of the registrants currently indicate that they're willing to receive the Medigen vaccine and that includes 173,000 who went to the government's appointment system on the internet to say that they only preferred that brand. Now, interestingly enough, health officials say that 8,607,387 doses of coronavirus vaccine have so far been administered here in Taiwan and that includes 8,170,117 first doses and 437,000 270 second doses. Of course, those have both been the Moderna and the AstraZeneca vaccines. Now, Epidemic Command Centre spokesman Juan Rensheng on Thursday said that currently ha- Taiwan currently has 866,900 AstraZeneca doses and 658,000 Moderna doses remaining. And the low number, well, that's led to claims by Taipei Mayor Kerwinger and several KMT bigwigs that the government is seeking to run low on imported vaccines so people will be forced to accept the local one. So, Ross, where do we begin there? Concerns about Medigen and the EUA, and you're a lawyer. How long been and young Jirlian taking this to court to revoke the EUA? Well, whether or not uh, the court action will be successful remains to be seen, but there's also 
the obvious issue, which is the court of public opinion and uh, uh, public doubts about the efficacy uh, of this vaccine. I, I think we need to uh, give the government some leeway and uh, uh, take it on faith. They're not going to approve something that's dangerous for the public to use. So we'll, we'll give them that. But uh, the efficacy, especially with the, the spread of the variants, uh, the legitimate questions about this and legitimate questions about the speed at which uh, this appears to be uh, moving towards approval for use. Uh, also, uh, another thing to point out uh, in response to some of the information you shared at the beginning is the number of people who, quote, unquote, signed up. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not much of a sign up if a box is pre-checked in the booking system. Uh, but, and those of us who've, who've used the booking system um, in, in the app uh, uh, or online you know, website uh, know how, how uh, challenging it could be, especially for older folks and not people who aren't computer savvy. Uh, and if things are pre-checked, if, if the different types of vaccines are pre-checked, and then you're, you're claiming that these people signed up, uh, that, that's, that's not exactly an honest claim by the government. I, I wish they wouldn't do that. Um, yeah, so I think that's right. Uh, I don't think the government would pass this without uh, some evaluation of safety, after all. But the KMT will allege that these are unsafe vaccines, that the government is conducting human experimentation on people and so forth. Um, I think these accusations would have come regardless of what the process was. If that had been a normal phase three trial conducted, a KMT could have very well just made the same accusations uh, because of the fact that it is grabbing onto what it can to attack the government. Uh, when AstraZeneca was rolled out, there are allegations that these were the only vaccines that Taiwan got, that this was false with administration, forgetting only dangerous vaccines of Taiwan, and so forth. Um, and so I think that there's, there's that. Um, just when you look at Medigen, too, it's, it's about the kind of same narrative, alleging incompetence and uh, that these are dangerous vaccines and this is endangering public safety. Um, I think it's absolutely right about the public's willingness to get better vaccinated with, with Medigen. We don't actually know. Uh, the numbers in the system may not attest to reality. People may not actually turn up for Medigen appointments or be willing to make Medigen appointments, even if they're indicating that now currently on a website. Um, as time passes, as there, if there do not seem to be effects from the vaccine that are harmful, uh, one might see more people willing to be vaccinated with this. However, in the meantime, I think it's just kind of an abstract number. Um, and I think that particularly because we've seen these reports of sudden deaths after vaccination, whether it's AstraZeneca or Moderna or whatever, we'll see the same thing regarding Medigen. And so I think a lot also will depend on what the media narrative is after Medigen vaccines begin to be used. What about the concern about the Medigen vaccine not being quite good with the variants of the coronavirus? Do you think that'll play high on public opinion? Um, I think it will, but I think also then that's also true of AstraZeneca. I just think any of the current vaccines that are currently on the market do not do well against new, as as well, let's say. They, they do prevent um, serious cases. There are very few breakthrough cases and so forth. Um, but the, the public narrative in the media particularly might not be that. Um, there will be alleged these vaccines are almost unsafe entirely. They just, they're not effective anymore against the new variants, which is not true of any of the vaccines that are on the market. But similar to the other vaccines, it's definite that this will have some reduced effectiveness. And, of course, Ross Bryan mentioned the media there. Oh, the media uh, has an important role to play in this in any country, including here in Taiwan. Unfortunately, uh, people watch for a few seconds or a few minutes. They're not looking for a, a very detailed scientific analysis, and, and often 
you know, they're just giving us sound bites from from doctors or scientists. So uh, that, that's an unfortunate part of it. But again, it's something we see in all countries. But I think that brings us back to the core issue with the Medigen uh, vaccine, which is it's up to it's up to the government, right? It's it's up to the, to the FDA and other agencies to really prove to the public, and that's why I'll, I'll mention again the court of public opinion issue. Uh, and it, it, it's not that it's dangerous. You know, as I said earlier, I don't think the government would, would approve something that, that would be harmful uh, for people to use, but it, it's the efficacy issue. And you know, a lot of time and money and, uh, is going to go into uh, the logistics uh, as well of getting people to, to take this vaccine as opposed to one of the other options. And uh, if so, I'm not questioning the safety, but I am questioning the advocacy because it hasn't really been proven sufficiently. Uh, and then where are we going to go from there if, if it, it, it turns out that uh, the efficacy uh, really just isn't as good as the other vaccines. So, again, you know, it's up to the government. It's not up to the media to prove that. It's not up to the media to, to just parrot what the government says, that, that it's a great vaccine, or to parrot what Medigen says. Uh, so uh, you know, it, I'll throw it back to the government. You know, make the case that this really is a, an effective vaccine. And, Brian, what could the government do? Of course, President Tsai Ing-wen has said she plans to take the Medigen vaccine, but what else could the government do to actually persuade the public that it's very safe and it does the job. Yeah, fair. I think it's become politicized territory. Um, Thai is doing this in order to prove that safe. Um, I think uh, experts have advised presidents or leaders across the world to take vaccines and do this very publicly in order to show the public that they're willing to be vaccinated themselves. Uh, the KMT has called on the DPP, for example, to all get vaccinated with Medigen and otherwise lashed out at DPP politicians that maybe express support for Medigen but may have been vaccinated already with something else etc. Um, the KMT has also accused the Medigen staff of themselves doing this, uh, being vaccinated with other vaccines and not being willing to vaccine with their own vaccine, which the CC has defended as uh, necessary in order to make sure that COVID doesn't disrupt the production of Medigen. Um, but I think it's, it's one of those things that I think it will actually take time. I think if this is safe and effective, this will have to just be proven through performance, and that will take time. Um, I think that if Medigen comes into play and does get taken up by the public. We won't actually see the effectiveness this time around because cases are going down and hopefully they will still go down. However, in future outbreaks, then we'll have to see as the efficacy of this. And so we won't actually see right away. Um, that'll be interesting. But let's also but I think there's another interesting issue we, we shouldn't miss here, which is the international aspect. So as, as travel resumes for yes. school or business, and uh, like it or not, you're going to be asked to be to, to produce vaccine proof for entry or participation, entry into venues, participation in events. And I'm not referring to here in Taiwan. I'm referring to outside Taiwan. And uh, uh, you know, your, your AZ vaccination or your BNT vaccination will, will be accepted uh, as proof that you're vaccinated. Uh, but will the Medigen one be, be accepted as proof uh, for places, travel, uh, et cetera, that, that require vaccination proof? Someone have an yeah. answer for that? That's, that's actually the next thing I was going to say, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's one of the things that I was going to say. It doesn't surpri it, I'm surprised, actually, this hasn't come up more so in the debate, that Medigen might not be accepted internationally, uh, might not be accepted by WHO because of lack of phase three trials or even Chinese pressure. Um, and so this will affect travel plans in the future as things start opening up and so forth. I mean, there's already enough contestation regarding proof of vaccination from Taiwan for the other vaccines, which are commonly known. And sometimes you do have the media amplifying misinformation and disinformation about that, claiming, for example, nobody will recognize what AZ means on the vaccination card because nobody will know this means AstraZeneca. 
things like that. Very, very odd uh, claims in the media. And so I can imagine this will also be magnified with Medellin. But there are very valid concerns about will this be accepted? Will this allow for Taiwanese to travel abroad if they have been vaccinated with Medellin? Yeah, but you know that's 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 a similar issue that we, we've talked about on the show. I mean, the three of us have talked about this a few times over the the past year plus. That uh, you know, not only was Taiwan slow in purchasing vaccines um, and slow in rolling rolling out the logistics of, of getting people vaccinated, and had plenty of time to prepare for that. But 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 the issue that we had talked about was Taiwan will need to negotiate some kind of reciprocity with other countries. Now, it turns out that a lot of uh, places have, have welcomed Taiwan travelers uh, you know, as, as some countries move towards opening up uh, and they consider Taiwan safe. They say, OK, Taiwan travelers can come in. We're not asking for proof of vaccination. Uh, but, but we're seeing the direction where things are going. And Taiwan will need to make sure that, that other countries or airlines, et cetera, are, are, are recognizing the paperwork that Taiwan uh, provide so you know put aside whether or not there's media disinformation. I, I don't think that's the key issue here. I think the key issue is uh, the front line here is probably going to be um, not not just uh, Ministry of Health or the CDC, uh, CDC but, but but also uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and they're going to have to get out there and, and talk with other countries and make sure that uh, you know, Taiwan's paperwork will will get recognized so that people who uh, do do receive the vaccination card in Taiwan don't have any trouble when they're we're traveling around the world and presenting it. You know that that's on them uh, to do. It. And if the media uh, inevitably is get, reports a story that you know, Ross or Brian were trying to get into a restaurant in Manhattan or some such thing, and they looked at our Taiwan vaccination <laughs> card and you know laughed at us and said we don't know what this is. Yeah, we can't blame the media for reporting stuff because inevitably it's going to happen. So, you know, again, that, that's something that's on the government, and they could get out ahead of that now. Um, you know, instead of celebrating, you know, a small number of doses donated by by some Central or Eastern European countries, uh, which ultimately in the scheme of things doesn't really change much, uh, you know, by way of the number of people vaccinated in Taiwan. Uh, you know, I think doing something like that would be a, a much bigger victory for Taiwan than getting some small number of doses uh, from certain countries. Brian. Yeah. And so in that respect, I think the uh, phase three trials and the countries they take place in, for example, Paraguay, um, there's a diplomatic aspect to that as well, because it's needed for Medellin to uh, be recognized internationally. To the extent, although uh, the KMT attacked this, attack that MOFA seems to have indicated that it's willing to donate vaccines to diplomatic allies of Taiwan. This also seems like a ploy to get other countries to start using Medellin. And in that sense, they will hopefully accept this, and then countries will be using Medellin, those countries, and this will maybe allow for some momentum to allow Medellin to be used more widely. And so that will be, I think, a key front in regarding this. Um, but I think it's also interesting then, because uh, when Medellin starts to get put into place with the current numbers that are willing to get vaccinated, that might not actually occupy a huge part of the Taiwanese population. It's possible that Medellin will instead be used more for third booster shots and that sort of thing. I mean, there's still the same question of, of Will this be internationally recognized as people are moving towards third doses and so forth? Um, it's also possible that just Medellin won't end up resolving the situation. I mean, looking at the numbers of how much orders were placed, uh, the government has to do something with it. And the onus on the government to, to make this team is it's not a wasted action. Um, but in terms of vaccines arriving from other places, there's a shortage now. But the question about what happens, like what if Medellin doesn't actually end up taking uh, such a large role in, in Taiwan's kind of vaccine distribution? Um, then the Taiwan also has to deal with the fact that they've spent so much political capital on the issue, but did it have the rewards from that? It's a question. 
And what about Taiwan's vaccine passports? Obviously, Ross was concerned about going to a restaurant in Manhattan. Yeah, I think that uh, particularly for uh, vaccine passports, that's also coming up an issue increasingly domestically, and I think that will also lead to some contentions between uh, local and central governments. Uh, Koenja kept talking about using the Taipei passport system, for example, which is only used in Taipei, uh, for vaccine passports. He believes this is the best way to do it instead of some centralized system used by the government, which you could use probably across the country, etc. He was originally claiming that anyhow, uh, because of the fact that he doesn't want to use systems rolled out by the central government. But then internationally, Taiwan already has these issues regarding recognition, and so uh, those, a lot of documentation is de facto recognized. But it's possible that this would become politicized. Uh, there's a possibility that China would try to put pressure to not recognize this in some form. Um, and then it would boil down, I think, to a fight between countries that do accept medicine and, and possibly countries that don't. Uh, particularly another factor is if, for example, the U.S. will back Taiwan in this. Um, yeah, I think a lot is really is really up in there. I mean, we have these questions that come up all the time about the Taiwanese passport getting confused, the Chinese passport, or what have you in, in the news. And then it's also just, I think, uh, going to become increasingly complex. Um, that being said, I think it's also the case that more countries are going to be rolling out their own vaccines. Uh, other countries in Asia are producing vaccines, for example. And so I think we are going to see much more vaccines coming out than just Medigen at, around the same time. And so I think that'll be another factor. If those vaccines can also secure international recognition, then there is more space for Medigen to also secure recognition. So, Ross, do you yeah, think... Yeah, but wait, but Brian, this, this, the issue I'm pointing out is, is not recognition of, of, of Medigen per se. I'm pointing out the paperwork issue, right? It, it's a simple issue, right? Or, or, or when, when I go into a restaurant in Manhattan or you try to take an airplane in the United States or, or in Europe and you produce paperwork, whether it's, it's actual hard copy paper or some kind of digi digital format, will that be accepted? Will people uh, outside Taiwan, whether it's an airline or a restaurant, uh, an office that we're going to visit, whatever it is, uh, are there going to be any problems or, or is just gonna, you're going to be able to get it uh, scanned through and walk right in? Um, and so it's a paperwork issue, right? So it's, not, it's not about the efficacy of medicine. Um So... Uh, are we going to have problems? That's something that, that I'm saying that the government has not gotten out ahead of. Uh, yeah, and, and China will probably want other countries to agree to recognize China's paperwork, uh, again, whether it's hard copy or digital format, uh, before they announce deals with, with Taiwan. But, but you know, the Taiwan government spends a lot of time, or they have over, over the years, making sure that passports or driver's licenses from, from Taiwan are, are recognized. Uh, and, yeah, it just involves some negotiation. Sometimes countries, you know, come up with some kind of weird reasons to delay, and they mention their one-China policy and some such thing. Uh, but but uh, this is more just a practical, working-level kind of issue, uh, but we don't hear much about it, and, and I think it's something that uh, the government does need to get out ahead of. Brian. Yeah, I think, I think that's the case, but the government also is not the main actor here, and so there's actually uh, somewhat little the government can do. I mean, for example, just looking at the existing vaccines, Moderna, AstraZeneca, et cetera, uh, it's already, there's already large gaps in which countries recognize which vaccines. AstraZeneca is recognized by the most countries, uh, but Moderna is actually surprisingly less. I think when I checked, it was like 30 or so, and that was kind of surprising to me because of how widespread it is used. And so... This is just with the ones from large, powerful countries. The vaccine is rolled out by those. And so if there's already these issues now, these issues are going to be many times worse for Taiwan, which is smaller, less well-known, uh, can advertise less regarding its vaccine, regardless of what the actual efficacy is. Uh, it delays to kind of push for getting recognized is, is going to be a challenge. 
I think it's really on the uh, kind of WHO and these global bodies to issue guidelines for this, uh, similar to how, for example, the UN has set regulations for passports, that passports should be standardized, they contain this data, you can scan it when you go to the airport, etc. Um, but right now, it's a little hard getting to that direction. And particularly because of the WHO, I mean, it's a very small organization. that has less budget than just the New York City Department of Health, for example. And so trying to roll out documentation and getting accepted internationally is, is going to be a challenge. And it requires the backing of larger countries, such as the U.S. or China, in this process. And that will inevitably also become politicized territory. And Ross, do you think possibly we're going to have, it's, it's obviously a serious subject, but putting some light on it, we're going to have the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here sort of changing the international vaccination passport book. So it sort of pronounces the word Taiwan and making a big thing of that. Uh, well, look, if, if they could ensure that the document will be accepted internationally, they, they negotiate a deal with the EU or US states federal government, whatever it is. I mean, inevitably, there'll be some some uh, cheering about that and press releases and uh, attempts to claim some political credit for doing that. Uh, and we'll just have to live with that. I mean, again, I think the, the, the risk here is that there are some problems in that process or delays, and uh, it's something that we all need, right? So, I mean, if they want to claim political points for, uh, say, you know, making sure that, you know, major airlines will accept Taiwan's uh, paperwork, documentation, or proof that one's been vaccinated. I, I don't think the public is going to think that this is some great diplomatic breakthrough, even if uh, MOFA tries to claim it is. Brian? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think I can I can also see a scenario in which the government tries to tout that it is a success and that this was, is an example of, for example, Taiwanese influence across the world if it does get picked up by other countries and that sort of thing, um, just because Taiwan is so desperately hungering for recognizability. Um, I don't know if the public at large will really believe that this is a breakthrough or things like that. I guess we should just have to see when the vaccination passports are issued. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Now, the Olympics have been a thing for the past couple of weeks and Taiwan has done exceptionally well with its athletes returning home with, well, their best ever performance at an Olympics. Now, the medal-winning performances have been in the headlines here, but Taiwan's status in the Olympics has been the main focus of the international press. Taiwan's medals revived debate over use of Chinese Taipei, screamed a Reuters headline, while the New York Times ran with Taiwan's gold medal win over China in badminton raises tensions. And a BBC Chinese language article that set out to explain the history of Taiwan's official Olympic name so incensed the poor wee cherubs in Beijing that the Chinese embassy in London issued a statement saying it firmly opposes the UK broadcasters reporting on the participation of the Chinese Taipei team in Tokyo. Here in Taiwan, the local political pundits were busy arguing about Taiwan's status at the Games and on their respective news commentary shows. Needless to say, the issues spilled over from the mainstream media to social media, where Chinese netizens lost their minds over posts in support of Taiwan's athletes, and Chinese companies vowed boycotts of local celebs who dared to cheer the team on and accused them of advocating for Taiwan independence. So, Ross, there we go. Obviously, the, the same argument comes up again in the international press about the use of Chinese Taipei. Well, I'd say the issue is slightly more nuanced than the way you presented it, because when China says they don't like the reporting, it's not that they dislike 
the fact that, that there's news about the Taiwan team, what they don't like is uh, reporting that emphasizes Taiwan's a country and it's being unfairly treated by having to use this this name that no one in Taiwan really likes. And similar with the celebrities who got, got in trouble with, with China, Chinese netizens, their, their corporate sponsors, uh, products that they represent in, in China. Uh, it, it's because the wording that they used where, where they described uh, the Taiwan athletes as representing a country. Uh, you know, so it, it, it is nuanced, and uh, I mean, of course it's wrong. Nobody here in Taiwan likes it. So if you engage in uh, self-censorship, I guess, that you'll have no trouble with China. So if you continue to call uh, the Taiwan team just Taiwan team, and we never say it's, it's representing a country, uh, then I, I suppose in theory China won't be upset. But obviously that's denigrating to, to people here in Taiwan, and you know, at this point in time it's unacceptable. But uh, this is going to come up in, in future Olympics as well. Uh, the chances of... Uh, uh, the IOC agreeing to change the name from Chinese Taipei to Taiwan is pretty slim. Uh, I've, I've said that in innumerable uh, interviews and commentaries I've written in the, in the past few weeks on, on this issue. And uh, the Taiwan voters spoke pretty clearly about this in, in the referendum in 2018 as well. I mean, one could say that it was in response to uh, IOC's pressure, IOC making it very clear that they weren't going to do anything uh, regardless of what the, the referendum result was. Uh, we, we don't really see the, the government out ahead of this issue. They're probably going to jump on the bandwagon and, and start saying, yeah, Taiwan should be Taiwan. And it'll be like, well, okay, where were you guys during the 2018 referendum when you didn't really take a clear position on this? Where were you a month ago? You weren't really talking about this before the Olympics. You're only talking about this uh, during uh, the Olympics, because you're jumping on the bandwagon of, of the, the higher medal count. But one final point, uh, Gavin, on the medal count. And, and, and I'll say this as an American, because uh, American media have been uh, on the receiving end of a lot of criticism for this in recent days. Uh, the medal count goes by, or should go by, the number of gold medals. You know, you know the old saying, right, about... Uh, no points for finishing second or uh, being second second place, etc. Uh, even though you got a medal uh, for for silver and bronze, what we really should count this by is the number of golds. And uh, uh, by that that accounting, you know, Taiwan has a respectable result, but it, I mean it's certainly far from the top. And Brian, yeah, I mean it's not surprising this is still a politically contested issue. Uh, but I think that's right uh, that just this was voted on in 2018, and Taiwanese voters voted down for it. Uh, I think pragmatics oftentimes win out over ideology uh, when it comes to this kind of independence unification issue, and this is actually another case in point. Uh, that being said, it is quite interesting because I think there are already there are already groups uh, mobilizing now to try to push for name phase again to the referendum uh, for for the Olympics, uh, perhaps by referendum or through other means. Uh, and it'll be a question of how what what stance the Tsai administration or a future DPP administration takes on the issue, um, because of the fact that pragmatics and if you actually do change the name that might lead to issues for Taiwan. Um, it's also a question of what demographic then this demand for changing the name comes from. Does it come from the Deep Greens again, uh, who are very antagonistic towards Tsai and kind of more conservative on many social issues, which Tsai is more uh, liberal on? Or does it come from these kind of younger progressive activists? And, you know, in the past they did align on this issue and then they split um, because of the divergences regarding uh, particularly liberal versus conservative politics. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just, I think uh, it's kind of interesting, actually, looking at the long-term history of sport in Taiwan that, uh, for example, with the baseball craze in the 1970s, that was oftentimes a distraction for Taiwan no longer being in the UN. And so this kind of focus on Taiwan's performance in the Olympics, uh, taking pride in it, is a way of restoring agency to Taiwan, that it can do things and accomplish things on the international stage despite international marginalization. It's also a distraction from the COVID-19 outbreak. I mean, just the amount of news articles about uh, about just the outbreak have, have dropped dramatically. I mean, it does tell to a time in which things are, de- are getting better and cases are decreasing, but it's quite uh, drastic. I wonder if the news cycle will kind of snap back once things end. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just more so it touches on these national identity issues, and that's definitely the case of the Olympics. And Brian, of course, you're a big social media user, you being a young man. Now, what about these <laughs> local celebs being sort of boycotted by Chinese companies? Maybe they should have known better. Yeah, it's actually uh, very funny, too, um, because particularly with Xiao F, uh, Di Su, her real name, um, she is actually a little more pro-China leading. And for example, she attacked the Tide administration for blocking mass exports uh, during the early stages of the pandemic, which was aimed at ensuring that Taiwan has uh, enough supplies of medical masks to go around. But she criticized this as an act that was cold-blooded and hurting Chinese people uh, and just not caring about what was going on there because of how severe the outbreak was at that point in time. Um, that did not prevent her from getting attacked by Chinese nationals. Uh, they hinged, they, 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 they singled out the national, the word, the use of the word national and accused her of being pro-independence. And then belatedly, she said that she's not pro-independence, but she didn't go so far as to say she's pro-unification. Um, it's kind of one of these surprising instances of social media mismanagement by a celebrity that should know better, uh, because of the fact that she's been working in, in China for the past few years, uh, hosting talk shows, I believe, since 2018 that are based out of Beijing. And so this is a clear red line that she should have known about. Um, a lot of this began on Instagram, which is, of course, banned in China, but people notice. I mean, just these kind of things do not go undetected on the Internet. And so this is a lot led to sponsorships for her from everything from fashion brands to shampoo brands to sex toy brands being dropped. Um, and and it, I think, uh, points to how Taiwanese celebrities come under scrutiny just for being Taiwanese. It doesn't actually always matter what your past viewpoint is. You can be very strongly pro-unification and still be accused of being pro-Taiwanese independence or covertly pro-Taiwanese independence by angry Chinese uh, nationalist citizens. One saw similarly in the past with uh, Ouyang Nana, for example, the actress who is the daughter of uh, K- former KMT city councilor and spokesperson Ouyang Long. And Ross, I mean, these celebrities that go on the go on the social media and say these things, I mean, when when Chinese netizens shoot at them, basically, well, through the social media, of course, shoot at them, do you think they should remove their posts, as Xiao S did, or do you think they should maybe stand up for what they believe in? Well, as I said, it, 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 there's nuance here, and it was really a question of, of one word and, and uh, describing the, the athlete as representing a, a country. It could have just used... More bland wording, um, and uh, I think she clearly regrets it, whether she wrote the post or one of her, her team members uh, who, who help operate her social media accounts wrote it. Uh, she clearly regrets it, and for no other reason than not, not because of money losing or losing losing some of her corporate gigs, uh, but because that's what her personal beliefs are. I mean, she, as a public figure, she's always uh, had a very clear view on, on, on these issues and Taiwan status, and she's never been an outspoken supporter of uh, Taiwan independence. That's her right. You know, and that, that aligns with, with a portion of the electorate here in Taiwan as well. Uh, so if they, in response to your question, Gavin, right, like her beliefs, I mean, her beliefs are... Uh, she's anti-independence. Uh, so uh, 
best could say that it was a mistake by her to to use that word, and now she's going to try to overcompensate probably. Uh, So it's understandable that she wouldn't keep the post up. You could attack her and say, like, well, she's from Taiwan, and uh, thus she should be a big supporter of Taiwan independence. Uh, But a lot of people here are not, including including her. Uh, So... Yeah, not not a surprise that that she removed the post again. I, I think she she clearly regret, regrets it uh, because that's not what her own personal political position is. And if she could do it all over again. Um, you know, she would have written the post, or her team would have written the post slightly differently. Uh, uh, but but that that also brings us back to the this issue. You know, the, the inconsistency. I mean, we there there. Uh, artists, whether musicians, TV personalities, actors, who, who make a lot of money in, in China. Um, some of them historically have been more associated with uh, the independent side of, of Taiwan's political divide, but then they, they're very careful when they go to China. And you, you say to yourself today, like, well, why are they still going there? We, you know, we kind of thought this person was, was on one side of Taiwan's political uh, debate, not the other side. Uh, um, you know, that might not be sustainable uh, over the long term. On the other hand, you know, we often see even uh, media here in Taiwan that's uh, usually associated with being pro-government and pro-independence, but they'll they'll write a report about some uh, artist's new song or something. You know, it's not even something to do with China, but. You know, artists who make money in China, they don't always come in for criticism here. You, know, you would think like some of these media in Taiwan that are pro-independence, which is never report anything, you don't have to bash them. Uh, but but it's clear like when the PR people from these artists like plant a story, uh, they could still successfully plant it in, in media that, that's uh, pro-independence as well. And then you get a positive story about somebody uh, who makes most of their money in, in China. Again, it could be a story about them you know, attending some event in Taipei or, or whatever makeup products they're talking about. Uh, so there's still a lot of inconsistencies in this space of, of, of you know, artists and their relationship with China. Right, anyway, moving away from the sports and the social media, jeers and cheers and the bickering over a name, uh, well, the local governments here in Taiwan decided to, well, have their own Olympics this week when they announced that they'll be giving cash payments to medal-winning athletes from Taiwan who are registered living in their, well, cities and counties. Basically, their household registration is in certain cities and counties. Now, this started a flurry of the cities and counties trying to outdo each each other. An example of which is, well, Guo Xing Chun, who won basically for the weightlifting. Now, Tai Dong, where her household registration is, is offering her a million NT. Now, now Li Yang, who is a badminton player who won gold, is registered in Jingmen, and Jingmen will be giving him basically four million NT. So, Brian, all these cities and counties trying to obviously support their local sports people, but seeing turning it into a sport themselves. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. I think that local governments are seeking to uh, compete with the central government. Uh, one seen a, a similar pattern during the COVID outbreak, actually, just trying to make it seem as though you're doing better than the government, more proactive if you're a local government, better than the central government. Um, and so it's actually very ironic because Taiwan already has some of the largest cash prizes in the world to Olympic medalists. Um, they've gotten the news. Taiwan has six figures. Uh, it's one of the few countries that does. I think actually even among those countries, uh, it is actually one of the highest. 
And so even then, there's the talk by local governments of adding more money to that. And the question is, where does it come from? Well, taxpayers, of course. Um, and then in addition to uh, just offering this money as a way to boost athletes, uh, there's back and forth now about whether local governments are providing enough resources for athletes to develop and train and so forth. Uh, even this, the movements, like if an athlete moves from Tainan to Taipei, this is being scrutinized for that Tainan did not offer enough resources to athletes, therefore they moved to Taipei. I um, mean, you know, sometimes it is the case that simply by virtue of being the city world, economic resources are, an athlete might move to Taipei for the uh, greater resources there, the, great, the more equipment available, or even just maybe they just like Taipei better. But this has become an object of little contestation now, and I think this is going to be fought over for some time. Uh, one also had Terry Goh jumping into the, uh, just jumping into this by, by also criticizing the government and then coming under fire for not offering money himself uh, to these athletes. And so I think this is another thing. It's a side effect of the Olympics that now there's this fight between local and central government regarding cash prizes for athletes. Well, on, on that last point, I mean, I think it's preposterous to criticize uh, Mr. Go uh, for, for lack of sponsorship of things. I mean, not, not only was he involved in recently procuring vaccines, but uh, like many big corporates in Taiwan, I mean, sometimes the, the company name will show up as sponsoring sporting events. Uh, uh, you could say that they don't give enough, but uh, yeah, that criticism just seems a little bit silly. Uh, if, if city and county governments do not announce what these plans are prior to the Olympics and, and they're rushing now to suddenly find some money and, and up the amounts or, or one up the, the, the other uh, municipalities. I think that's pathetic. I mean, that, that, that is just, it might make for good politics, but it makes for horrible leadership. I, I, I think these politicians really uh, are embarrassing themselves by doing this. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we should all get awards for producing a good show today. And you know, since, <laughs> since Gavin, you I think you live in New Taipei, and, and you know, I live in Taipei. Brian, I believe you. You know, maybe, maybe they'll they'll try and out, outrace each other for giving us money for a great show. Uh, you know, it, it, it ultimately though comes back to what's not a new new issue, and that, and that's the organization of sport here in Taiwan. Hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of problems over the years, corruption, uh, lack of success. Uh, I, I, I'm worried that because the, the, the medal count was, was higher than past Olympics, you know, but beat expectations, uh, that we're going to sort of rest on the laurels and, and, and forget about the, the terrible problems. And also thinking, eh, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. Uh, oh, I'm going to cross my fingers, but... You know, one reason why the medal count could have been better was this really is the fluke Olympics. You know, it was delayed a year, COVID. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, you know, reasons why maybe Taiwan did better than expected, and it's not necessarily because uh, all the athletes really were the greatest athletes in the world. I mean, we, we have to uh, keep some perspective on, on, on the circumstances of, of this particular Olympics. So, uh, you know, the serious issues with Taiwan sports federations and the training, which I'll also add, is not an issue for the local governments to address, right? It's not up to the Taidong or Hualien County governments, really, to produce Olympic athletes. Um, you know, that, that's also silly. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm certainly worried, as I said, we're, we're, we're just going to coast along because of some success and, and forget about, really, the the, the terrible, terrible issues within the Olympic organization, or the sporting federations, I should say, and the Olympic National Olympic Committee. And we saw a bit of that 
right before the Olympics with this controversy over their flight arrangements. And it was something that, that has been discussed. And the president had promised that it wouldn't be a problem. She had to publicly apologize. And I, I was saying, like, my gosh, the president is spending her time talking about this. This is pathetic uh, that, that the situation has come to this with the sports organizations. So I'm worried that we're going to forget about all these problems and, and you know, be saying how great we are. Uh, and I hope that isn't the case. And staying with money issues and the Olympics, well, uh, well, several of Taiwan's athletes were amazed and excited, that's their words, not mine, to see military jets escorting their flight home from the Tokyo Olympics this week. Now, the escort by four Mirage 2000 fighter jets was arranged by the government to honour the athletes. But, of course, Brian, it did cost rather a bit of money. Um, that's right, yeah. I mean, flights are expensive. Uh, they are surprisingly expensive. And any equipment from a flight, for example, such as the flares that are deployed in celebration, that also costs money. Um, and so that's the trade-off, I guess, of, of doing this. Uh, Thai probably felt an imperative to do this in order to show that Taiwan is taking these athletes seriously against these accusations that, uh, for example, the central government is not doing enough for athletes. And so this is a way of doing that. Um, it also does make for good advertising for the military, I think. And so that might have been another consideration. And I think the way the effect the way that uh, the way it played out on social media was the way the government hoped to uh, that the athletes took photos and videos and it became circulated and uh, went viral on on social media. And so I think the government is not likely to get a lot of criticism for that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think absolutely the issue at hand is about the resources that go to athletes, um, to sporting institutions, provides them, and there's a lot of allegations of corruption, abuse of athletes, where the athlete that performs the best is not uh, chosen actually, or uh, in which athletes are coerced, they're forced to wear uncomfortable clothing, uh, pressured into complying with the will of the officials, uh, sometimes even allegations that you know, the athletes are forced to sleep with officials, uh, sporting officials, in order to get in. Um, just because of these issues being so deeply rooted. And a lot of the athletes that participated in the Olympics were our leaders in the kind of pushback against this calling for sporting reform. Um, but I think that's going to get passed over in this rush to have spectacles such as the, the Jets or just giving cash prizes to local to athletes in general. And, of course, Ross, apparently the, this, the four Jets, to send them into the air to escort the plane, apparently it cost something like 200000 US dollars. Yeah, and, and uh, when you introduced this, the segment, Gavin, you said it was arranged by the government, but let's be abundantly clear because this is one time when the Ministry of National Defense was abundantly clear. The spokesman said this was on President Tsai's order. So this came right from the top, literally, uh, from President Tsai. She ordered this. Um, and, you know, this is life and death, right? Taiwan's survival, um, you know, the, the possibility of. of military hostilities with China. This is life and death. The military, the Air Force, Taiwan's dwindling number of mirages, you know, these are special, important resources. They should not be used as political tools. So great. People on social media could celebrate uh, or get excited because they see some photos of the jets. I think this is a, a terrible mistake, and, and you know, it's being defended. Um, you know, the usual suspects will come out, or they've already come out and defended this. Uh, for they said, well, there was precedent. We did this in 2018 for athletes re- returning from the Asian Games that were in Indonesia. Uh, President Ma had an escort for himself when, when he went to meet Xi Jinping in 2015. Well, actually. Uh, I think it's standard when the president flies uh, overseas that there, there's briefly an escort. So I mean, to say, oh, only Ma did it, that, that's, not, that's not accurate either, because uh, most presidents, when they go on overseas trips, they get the escort for part of, 
part of the trip. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it, to me, it's, it's not a good use of, of military resources, regardless of the precedents or what other public events or uh, people saying, oh, well, the, the U.S. does it for the Super Bowl or something like that. Well, yeah, you know what? The U.S. federal government has, a, has some more resources. Uh, they have a few more aircraft to, to put to this kind of use. They have a few more pilots on the roster as well. And also, uh, it wasn't really four planes. It, it was six, according to media reports, because there, there was another one on standby and there was another one taking photos. Uh, so uh, the we really shouldn't take this lightly, uh, and I think we really should question uh, the prudence of doing this. And, and this is just so that the central government could do another pat itself on the back kind of action and say, you know, we're, oh, yeah, yeah, we're taking care of the athletes. We even, you know, respect them with with the fighter jet escort. Uh, but I, I think this was a terrible, terrible thing to do. And, of course, the military is going to play along. They're going to follow orders. And the spokesman said, we're so honored to do this. Uh, but but uh, just a terrible misuse of military resources, in my opinion. And that's where we'll leave it here this week, here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today by Brian Hugh. Good night. And Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.